Hello anyone and everyone, I'm J.M. Sebastian. For this episode of Mechanical Fail, Gabe and I sit down to talk about procedural generation. We discuss what it is, how it's used in games, and some of the aspects we find most interesting about it. We also proceed to fumble through its pronunciation. We spend a lot of our time talking about two games in particular, Barony, made by Turning Wheel, and The Binding of Isaac, made by Edmund McMillan and Florian Himsel. Prepare yourself for that. So, if you would, please enjoy our preceding conversation about procedural generation. Since you're the more uh, engineer-minded person, as you are an engineer, and I'm not, okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should explain what procedural generation is in terms of game design. In terms of game design? Or in terms of how it's implemented in the games most often, I suppose. I mean, I guess the the when people hear procedural generation, I feel like a lot of people think about, oh, it's just a game that has random elements. Yeah. And, like, there is actually a distinction in that procedural generation, as its name implies, is you're you're creating something via some sort of procedure. Right. Uh, but the the main thing is that there's kind of, there's usually like a, a series of steps. And at each step, that's kind of where you might introduce some sort of randomness. So uh, I've been on r slash procedural generation. There's a subreddit. I've been uh, following that for a while. And one of the really cool things they do is every month, they have a contest a little challenge, and one of the first ones was, oh, procedure generate a castle. And you can do it however you want. It could be a 2D layout, it could be like a 3D model, whatever you want, like just make one. Uh, one of the more recent ones was make a spaceship using procedural generation, or a fleet of spaceships. Okay. And so what you'll see is people will show their entry and then they'll talk about the steps that, that they go through. And so, uh, for example, with the castle, you might be like, cool, uh, let's have an outer wall and a moat around it uh, and maybe like a bridge or like you, you kind of decide what the ele- different elements are and then you you define uh, each step so say oh let's draw the walls so you might have an algorithm that decides oh let's start let's decide on a width and a height and then you could add randomness to the width of the height okay or, gotcha. or then you could say oh let's let's do a width and a height and then let's add some like additional like additions to the to the outside wall, or maybe we want to add like um, what, what are they called? Just spires or turrets on the on the corners. Mm-hmm. So each of these pieces, right? You kind of define the the pieces that you might want to have, and then you can add the randomness and saying, oh, do you do you where do you place it? What style is it? Whatever. Um, and then you can go through each step. Oh, let's define. We have our walls, so now let's decide what goes inside the castle walls. And each, at each step, you can have some sort of randomness. Yeah, I mean, and there's always a, a, a preset number of things that can be, right? Not necessarily, because you could, you could have the randomness not necessarily just be choosing between what style or, like, between different types. You could have it be what angle is something sticking out at. Oh. So I you can have that. an infinite, or, like, all pretty much infinite number of possibilities. Or what color is something, you know, there's a huge scale. It doesn't have to necessarily be, you know, just blue or black or white. Um, yeah. So yeah, r slash procedural generations really fucking cool if you want to actually look at people implementing some of this stuff. Um, not, necessarily, not necessarily just for games, but like more general. But yeah, in terms of game design, that's a different beast that I don't have that <laughs> much of a grasp on, but I do, I do think it's fascinating and I want to use it more in my games. Well, yeah, part of the reason why I wanted to talk about it was because it seems to be so prevalent now and I'm, and I'm 
curious as to why that is. I mean, it's an old concept, right? Rogue. Yeah, Rogue. Which is a game from the 70s, I think. 70s or 80s? Or or the early 80s. I wish I knew. (laughs) I can't remember exactly when it was, you know, first put out. But basically, in that game, every time you play that game, the world is different than it was before, so that it's always a different game. Mm -hmm. So that concept is really, really old. I see it coming back a lot now in newer games, and I suspect it's because it's ultimately... It's a means to an end in making a game more robust and a longer-lasting experience than it would be. I feel like it has more content. For the amount of effort you spend creating a system Mm -hmm. that's procedurally generated, I feel like that can offer you more in the long run than if you spent that effort trying to do level design by hand, basically. Totally. Um, But there's still difficulty, kind of like I was saying. you you, you You have these different steps you can take in generating... Your, your final product and introducing randomness at each step. But, you know, how do you tie that to game design? That's actually really hard. The tuning that has to go through is it's kind of crazy. I mean, so you, you, you pay, you get a lot out of it, but you pay the upfront cost of, oh, how, how do we tune this algorithm? How do we tune what it can generate to actually be fun? Yeah. So along the lines of the initial Rogue, which was basically a dungeon crawler game similar mm-hmm. to... The Dungeons and Dragons style of game in general. Yeah, um, I've been playing Barony, which is basically a 3D rendered version of Rogue. Yeah, it's probably one of the more faithful modern interpretations of it. I think interesting um, because it has elements like you have to eat to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, you get food items by killing people, which I guess is a pretty Rogue staple. Honestly, I've never played Rogue, but I have played Brogue, which is like oh, a modern really? implementation of Rogue. Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend Barony. It's a it's a pretty good game. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But along your line of tweaking, it does have some some elements that really I think weren't optimized quite well yeah. enough. For instance, you can be subject to boulders falling from the ceiling mm-hmm. and you can see the holes where they will appear, but by the time you see them, a lot of it like you don't have enough time to to do anything yeah. about it once you've seen it. So the optimal strategy really is to just wait until all those traps are sprung and then go around moving around. <laughs> and I think that's an, uh, a really interesting thing that they, I mean, they must have tested that and they must have just decided, you know, this is a reasonable amount of deaths that we're going to have players subject to. And so, I mean, part of it is also where you're drawing the line, right? So, so they might've decided, Oh, this is part of the game. Yeah. And exactly. they, they might, they might've told themselves, well, Players that play well will learn that this is part of the strategy. And so they could have tweaked it to try to change it. And at least from what you say, it sounds like, oh, maybe they should have. But maybe other players that play a whole bunch will say, no, this is, that's barony. That's what you do. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, the rogue games are famous for their difficulty yeah. and obscurity. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Which is actually, yeah, part of the charm, right? Right. One of the original things in rogue is just like, oh, you picked up a spell and it's got some random name what does it do? Yep. Who knows? And that you see that coming around a lot in a lot of, in a lot of modern games that have rogue-like or rogue-lite elements. Right. Um, I'm thinking Binding of Isaac with the mushrooms or the or sorry with the pills. Oh, um, not knowing what they do. Yeah, just where based each on their... pill is just completely random and. Oh, are they really? There's no color coding to them or anything. They're color coded, but um, when you start a game, you don't know what any of the colors mean. Oh, I that's, see. That's that's kind of what I mean. But they're set for that. Yeah, for that run. So if you get the a pill of the same color and orientation, it's the exact same pill. 
That's actually really cool. Yeah, and that's how the original Rogue was as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. I, I've been reading um, Derek Yu's book about his game Spelunky, mm-hmm. and um, he talks about his reason for choosing to do procedural generation in that game was because he didn't like the idea of levels being static. He, he found memorization kind of a boring yeah. thing. And I found that really interesting, too, because to me, I mean, I don't mind procedural generated levels, mm-hmm. but there is a frustration that can come with randomness, right? Right. If you know what the level layout is, you can plan and you can practice. I mean, you can perfect it. And you can perfect more it, exactly. Less, right. And that appeals <clears throat> to me as a gamer more so, I think, than procedural generation does, because I like mastery. Yeah. And See, that's interesting, because I feel like I... I feel like being able to take a game that has procedurally generated elements and mastering it is more interesting. Really? Yeah, because you, you can master something. I mean, it's a personal personal preference, but yeah. you can master something like a level and you just do the same process over and over and over again, assuming that there's nothing really random or like that will change, right? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like a lot of old arcade games that were just, you kind of play the same thing, right? Yeah. So Binding of Isaac is the game that I fucking love and it's procedurally generated um if you ever get a chance watching the boiler racing leagues mm-hmm. i think binding of isaac league racing um it's really fascinating because the the people who are on top tend to win like regularly they are they are the guys that and girls who can just every single time win consistently and it makes you wonder right it's con- con- or completely procedurally generated so someone might get a bad seed and might pick up bad items or might get a bad bad run and someone else might not but yet these people tend to win. Yeah. And I would I would argue that that's both that's like showcasing how good the game has been designed and how good the runners are in that they know they know the elements that they need to take. So it's more it's more like a recognizing patterns that they they want to optimize what whether it be a build or how they go through a level or, you know, uh, what risks they decide to take. Those are all really big deals. And so watching some of that, like, if you play Binding of Isaac, like, you, you become infinitely better just from understanding what the pros are doing. Yeah. So going back to Barony along those lines, yeah. playing it more recently, I did start to learn things about systems, right? Mm-hmm. I think procedurally generated elements lead you to master systems more so yeah. because Definitely. you have to, right? So in Barony, for <clears> instance... I learned that you really want to get good at identifying items because when you first start doing it, you're really slow at it. Mm-hmm. And you get hungry over time. So right. you, you waste a lot of time and a lot of resources just waiting around to identify things. Mm-hmm. So if you can increase your ability to identify things more quickly, that helps a lot because then you're not sitting around doing right. stuff. You're just you're on the move all the time. So yeah, it's one of those things. So regardless of what the level is like, you know that, yes, I want to have identifying up all the time. Another element that I found really interesting is you do start to recognize patterns in design choices. So in the first dungeon section of the game, there's um, a particular element that you always know is going to be the same. It's a a series of two uh, barred gates, and there are two switches, and they are always opposite side of each other. So it's really funny because you start to just like pick up on these things like, oh, if you see this, you're also very likely to see these other things around it. Right. Because of the nature of the way that they've constructed the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually really neat. Um, I mean, I've played... By any way, it's the rogue like I put the most, so I'm going to talk a little bit about it a lot. But 
spoilers, there are secret rooms, and the secret rooms have kind of rules that define where they will be laid out. So even if the level is completely uh, randomly or procedurally generated, you still have roughly an idea of where the secret rooms could be. Sometimes you take a little bit of a guess, but usually you can get it down to, you know, two, maybe three rooms that you think they should be in, and then you can just walk over and, you know, uh, try to blow up a wall, kind of Zelda style, and see if the secret room is there or not. Um, and so there's two different types of secret rooms, and they have their like own distinct rules as to how they uh, will get spawned. So yeah, it's actually really fascinating, because you know, at first, you at least when I started playing, I went in blind. I didn't know there were secret rooms, and then by accident, an enemy explodes, and I find out, oh, hey, that's a secret room. That's amazing. And then only later, much later, did I realize that there's actually kind of a pattern that you as a player can try to take advantage of. So, you know, again, there's risks. So you, ha you only have so many bombs to use, like a limited resource. And you might have a vague idea of where the secret room is, but the secret room could potentially have money for you to buy things or, you know, uh, an item or things like that. So you, you, you go and take it because a lot of the times it can be really good. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's really interesting. And the, it, the game expands like that because there's ton, tons of little things like that. Yeah, I, I find it, I mean, as a, as a player, I find it, if the design is obscure enough, I can find it really off-putting to try to figure mm -hmm. that kind of stuff out. And there's a weird balance you have to strike, I think, where you want to make elements obvious enough. Right. But not so obvious that they just, you know, are trivial. Now, I haven't played uh, Binding of Isaac enough to really get a sense of, you know, consistency from game to game on what I can expect. Yeah. But... There's a good amount, surprisingly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of, lot of strategies that are just general and you can take advantage of. I mean, a big thing is knowing, you know, what routes to take, including, like, whether you go for a secret room or not. Mm -hmm. um, but the the really big thing is just the under, knowing the items and their interactions. This, this is kind of the other really big element of the game that's not necessarily about procedural generation, but if you, you know, your main attack is kind of shooting a projectile, and you can get items that will buff up your projectile or change how it fires, and they'll intermix with each other, especially in, uh, there was a re there's a remake, Binding of Isaac Rebirth, mm -hmm. And that game has, compared to the original, has even more kind of items. Um, shoot, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. But <laughs> um, a lot more item combinations that actually work. So you might have uh, something that turns your shot into, your little projectiles into one giant beam. And then you might have one that uh, normally would just make your projectiles kind of seek out enemies. Well, if you get both the giant beam and the, the kind of seek, heat-seeking ability then your giant beam will wrap around the screen to try to catch enemies that are on screen which yeah. is really cool so i think um that kind of goes into the idea of discovery and mm -hmm. i think with you know procedurally generated elements you can achieve that feeling of discovery more yeah. often probably yeah, definitely than you can in a game that's static or you know hand designed mm -hmm. i guess for me it still comes down to the idea of balance Right. Um, now, obviously, some players have no issue going into totally new environments mm -hmm. um, and, and just moving from basically nothing. Going, going in blind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is a, 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 a lot of exhilaration about that, I think, because you don't know what to expect. 
And, I mean, that's half the fun of, of learning a game, I think, in the first place, is not knowing what to expect. I mean, that's I think those are the games I enjoy the most, the ones that I kind of go in blind and discuss, and it's just a lot of exploration and discovery. The, the game feels like it just keeps unfolding and is infinite, which is a really, really neat feeling if you can get it right. Yeah, I mean, the only problem I think that tends to show itself sometimes is either levels that are that don't really conform well enough so that they seem out of place mm-hmm. where elements just are not really you know congruent with each other in a, in a sense i guess you can kind of see the the game at work right and it distracts you or you know of course you also run the risk of of getting players stuck in a situation where they can't escape from yeah and that's that's the hard part i feel like most roguelikes or procedurally generated games like they they tend to stick to the original spirit of rogue where you you don't really say very much and it it hurts sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting dilemma. It is interesting because like it, I see this kind of stuff being put into uh, more independently developed games. Mm-hmm. I I don't know of any major releases that have really gone into procedural generation type level design at least. Yeah, that's a good point. In quite some time, the only game I can think of right now is Bloodborne, but, you know, that's an additional element, right? That well, game has great traditionally hand-designed yeah. levels and, and a world. Yeah. But you also get this great little side thing where it's like, hey, here are these dungeons that are just put together based on algorithms and all this kind of other stuff. Although I would argue those are the weakest levels <laughs> by far. Right. And that, sh- and that, to me, highlights a really interesting thing, right? Like the, the, the kinds of things you can achieve mm-hmm. by handcrafting something carefully you know examining what you want the player to do Mm -hmm. and what's expected of them there's uh it's just a different way of looking i think at game design no uh, that's a good point i mean the the you mentioned bloodborne the every single time i think of the chalice dungeons the game that comes to mind is diablo to me the chalice dungeons are the diablo version of bloodborne where you're running around just collecting loot to grind out and get more chalice dungeons or like power up your character you know get that that extra blood gem that gives you an extra five percent to your damage or something right and so diablo obviously is like another big game that the towns are set but the the areas that you go out exploring into are all procedurally generated and every single time you go out they change right um which is really interesting um yeah i i think it works well for the type of game diablo is where you're more wanting to kind of explore and you 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 want to do the grind like that's why people play it and i think the procedural generation really works because then you you have something kind of new every single time you play i think maybe i just don't fit into that category of gamer because <laughs> i played i've played all of the diablo games and you know because they have a story mm-hmm. i you just want to get the i story. got to the story and i yeah. was like great <laughs> awesome i don't care about the loot i don't care about anything else i'm done um, I think I'm the same way with the, with those kinds of games. Maybe just because it's also a very long game, it puts itself a little different mm-hmm. in a different category than like Barony is a. I, it's probably not a very long game if you actually finish it. I have not yet finished it, right? Because it's fairly challenging. I mean, I pick a, a class that is basically a beginner class, and I still have trouble with it. And I've been playing it for mm, probably a good twenty hours or thirty hours by now. Oh wow! Does Barony fit? I haven't actually gotten to play it does it fit more the the roguelike um i guess pattern in that every time you play you're 
you're kind of going to try to get to the end goal of beating some final boss or whatever, and, I, and all the levels are randomly generated. Like, you die and it's permadeath. It's not like Diablo where you're kind of... Only portions are randomly generated. Right. It is a permadeath game. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> when you die, uh, your character can remain, but you lose everything, of course. Basically, the only thing that remains is your character class and your name. Okay. And some, like, you know, uh, like what you look like and that kind yeah. of thing. But the world completely changes every single time. The items that you can pick up are going to be completely different. Yeah. Every single time you die, so, or reload the game. I, I, I do think you can save your progress. Yeah. And then That's come back to I it. That's I feel like everything... Every roguelike needs. But once you die, that's the yeah, end. And you right. can't go back to your save. It wipes the save out. Right. So it's one of those things where I think it works best for, um, I, I don't want to say arcade-style games, but but games where you are not necessarily expected to have long play sessions mm-hmm. with. Because you can jump in, go through as much as you can get through, especially in a dungeon crawler. Right. Where basically you're just going further and further into the dungeon. Right. And that's um, kind of the traditional sense. I mean, Rogue does it, Spelunky does it, right. Binding of Isaac does it, I'm sure Barony, I know Eldritch does it. Yeah, yeah. Eldritch does. El- I find Eldritch to be extremely similar to Barony, not only because of its art style being similar, but um, a lot of the elements are really similar. Yeah. You know, they all have a very solid base to work from, so it's mm-hmm. basically just iterations on those themes, which is interesting. But it's fun. I-, I think it's interesting to see the different takes people have on the roguelike genre. I believe the the person who made <clears throat> Eldritch worked on Bioshock 2, I think. I should know this. I actually saw them give a talk at GDC this year. I, I, I just I just recently found out who the guy was who made it. Yeah. And I want to say he worked on Bioshock 2, which now <clears throat> makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> um, well, the real question is, was it made in Unreal? That's... Because if it was, then that's how you know. I have no idea, actually. <laughs> I, I don't either. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, part of me also thinks that, I don't want to say that, you know, game designers are lazy in terms of wanting to actually design levels, but I do feel like it is a way for developers to just be like, well, I don't have to spend my time designing levels now. <laughs> I can just design each, you know, the things that can, can make up yeah. a level, but I don't have to worry about... All I have to worry about is whether they create problems for players to complete the goal. Right. No, I think it's... Um, like, I think level design, when you're designing very concrete things, is one type of skill. I mean, it's, it's really important. But I feel like there's another type of skill um, for trying to tune the types of levels that can be generated via procedural generation and like thinking about it there's also kind of a sense of discovery one of one of the really nice things about game development and game design like this is that you might create a system you might create something and as you play with it you that's only when you really find out what's fun about it you might have an idea and you try it out and it kind of sucks but it turns out that this one small kind of off branch of your idea is actually really really fun and you you end up making a game about it and that, that's that's usually how, at least, how a lot of really good games come about. You know, it's kind of by accident. And so yeah. I feel like the, the procedural generation can be used for that, where you have some algorithm, algorithm, you create things, and it's only then that you kind of stumble upon something that you think is really, really fun that you can kind of center your game around or make it a, a new system or part of the game. So you're talking about mm-hmm. it almost in terms of, like, a tool for prototyping then. Uh, not necessarily just for prototyping. No, 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 but it, but, but, but it something that can be. be useful for that. Yeah, I mean, it depends, but, you know, at least for me, I know that I, I don't have a 
level design background. Um, right. And I would be, at least from, I find it interesting to do procedural generation, so I would try to do that because I'm a coder, right? It's, I feel like it's, if you're a coder, you'd like to do it. Hmm. It's something you can write and you don't have to necessarily spend a lot of time handcrafting things. You spend a lot of time tweaking algorithms to make them do what you want. Yeah, I mean, I, I do wonder if it's going to start making its way towards larger budgeted games than it has. I mean, Diablo is a huge budget game, mm-hmm. so I guess that's one example where it comes into play pretty heavily. Right. Now, I don't know much about, you know, every genre, of course. So yeah. I'm, there, there may be games that I'm just not really aware of, like simulator-type games, um, which feature a lot more procedural generation. I don't know. That's true. A yeah. lot of sim games will, like, generate things for you that you kind of take care of, but... I don't play that genre very much either. <laughs> yeah. And in that, in that sense, I imagine it's a lot different too because, like, let's take SimCity, for example. You know, you, the player, is responsible for, for creating that yeah. place. The game itself has to take what you've done mm-hmm. and then figure out what to do around that, I would I would imagine. Right. And, you know, maybe, like, weather patterns and those kinds of things are just randomly done and just however you've built your yeah. city just gets affected based on whatever you've done. Yeah, but talking about sim games, I'm thinking now like world generation where, you know, if you play any civilization game, all the maps are just procedurally generated. Oh, okay. I mean, you can, I I'm, I think you can pre-choose some maps, but for the most part, you're just saying, hey, make me a map. I want to play with my friends. And then you go do it. And every everything on the map is going to be kind of made based on the tweaks and parameters that you put into the system. And then you just go and you start and, you know, you're playing on that map now. So the world is different each time. And obviously there's something like Dwarf Fortress, but that's <laughs> a league of its own. Yeah, I mean, on the scale, it's like, I don't know. I would say Diablo, although it has a lot of elements that are, you know, procedurally generated, I think it's, other than the loot itself, it's not that important, really. In terms of, like, I don't think its level designs really <clears throat> are uh, hinge that much. No. That you know, they all kind of seem the same to me at least. And and that's not a bad thing. It's just I'm in a cathedral. Mm-hmm. Sweet. What am I going to find in here? It's not right. really about the level itself. Right. Whereas then you have on the other <laughs> end of that dwarf fortress where basically everything is up to the will of the creator. It seems like <laughs> where you know, I don't know. There's there's just so many variables to contend mm-hmm. with, and none of them are the same any time you you play that game. No, it's 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 crazy. It's the roguelike, but for an entire world and civilization. And that that's it. it I've tried to play it several times, and it's just it's pretty impenetrable. But it is it is really fun to watch people play and read stories about it because again, you get this discovery. Right? There's so many variables, so many possibilities that. You just get really crazy shit out of it. And this is all... A big part of it is just because it's so heavy in the simulation where there are rules, but there's so many rules that it's more like a real world than it is necessarily a game with small systems. Yeah. So, you know, everything's being simulated down to what body part, you know, your dwarf is attacking that lizard at. And it, it, it broke that lizard's leg, so now the lizard is limping along. Or... I don't, I don't even know. There's so many crazy things you can do in that game. And yeah. it's, it's really amazing what they've done. Because I was... Shoot, what is it? Now they're... Uh, I think Tarn is the name of the uh, one of the lead developers. 
and he was showcasing some uh, procedurally generated backstories for your worlds, such as like, you know, there was this god that decided to make a world, and then their girlfriend god got jealous and made her own world that was going to be bigger and better, and that's the world you live in. (laughs) And then he was kind of annoyed, so he kind of shot down an asteroid in the middle. Not necessarily that, but... Yeah, something like that. It goes on, and all the names and everything's just procedurally generated, and you get this crazy history of how your world was formed. Yep. And like like in a Tolkien-esque fashion. Yeah, I was going to say, I I, I don't remember where I read it, but there was one story I had um, come across where the there was a character who was a mixed race character mm-hmm. like an orc and something or something like that and they could go back far enough in the story to find like where that lineage had come from for this oh, one nice. particular and it wasn't like an important character yeah, it was just yeah. some <laughs> random character in their world that's awesome and i love i do love that because that's unique to that world you mm-hmm. know that's not something that you'll necessarily see in any other version of that game yeah which is a really cool thing. I mean, that's kind of where I think it shines the most. Yeah. No, creating those unique stories. I mean, that if you want r slash Dwarf Fortress again, there's tons and tons of really fascinating stories people have put. And there's obviously some really popular ones. Like, I want to say one's called Boat Murder. That's really, really interesting. Just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really great stuff. Unfortunately, I don't think I could ever actually sit down to play it. With the ASCII graphics, I I don't know. That alone for me is just like I cannot. Well, they have they have tile sets. Yeah, they so do. So you can do that. Um, they do. That's true. But even just learning the how to play and the keyboard shortcuts and all that is is a task unto its own. Which version do you try? I from what I understand, <clears throat> there is the world mode and, and then the there's adventure the adventure mode. mode yeah. Uh, I tried both, but I wanted to learn to play the world or like civilization mode or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. because i feel like that's where most of the interesting stuff happens Um, or at least that's where i've read most of the interesting stories (laughs) nice um but yes uh, another game that dwarf fortress reminds me a lot of not necessarily because of the the simulation but more of the kind of art style like if you play any of the tiled sets it looks like this there's one game called tales of majayal or you can just look up tome um, it's it's free to play, like you can download it, but it's also on Steam, and you can pay a little bit to buy it if you want. And I actually I I've played it for a bit, but I really love it. I should go back to play it. I'm trying to remember. I want to say that the overworld map is set, kind of like in the old school Final Fantasy games. Right. Like you have this overworld map you can traverse, but then whenever you go into a region, that gets procedurally generated, and it's very D and esque where you can choose your class, create create your character, choose your class. To you know, modify your stats at the very start and kind of set off on your quest. And each class has a different starting location, different backstory, um, and you start in a different place in the world. So you know, you just kind of go out and you start exploring. And it's permadeath, so it's really interesting that you just this is this one character's story. But yeah, it's it's really great. You should give it a shot. Um, it plays a lot like the old school roguelikes where you uh, every move makes the world tick, or every attack makes the world tick some amount. Right. Um, Turn-based. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have you have moves that can, I guess, a lot like Old Rogue. You have some attacks that might attack, you know, hit two squares in front of you or hit in a diagonal pattern or what have you. Hmm. Um, but there's a lot of exploration in that where you... I was playing and 
I stumbled upon a, uh, what would I call it? A shaman in the woods with a bunch of animals around him. And he started attacking me, so I just murdered him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I unlocked one of the classes in the game. Oh, really? Stum- stumbling upon this. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a lot to unlock. There's a lot to see in that game. Um, and again, procedure generated, so every playthrough is going to be slightly different. Yeah. For me, like what, what kind of the fundamental aspect of it, not in terms of how it's implemented or that kind of thing, but I think it really is generated from a desire to, you know, see something that you haven't seen before. Right. And that's nice. I mean, I, the, the great thing about games is that there's enough room for not only like a rogue game, mm-hmm. but thousands of rogue games. Oh, yeah. Because everybody <laughs> has a different idea of like what they would like to see happen. And so you see all these different elements put together. And then the combinations that they can form, yeah, is pretty yeah endless. Like you said before, <clears throat> and I mean you can infinite. you can kind of decide how much you want to use procedural generation in your game. You know, you can go dwarf fortress style where you do everything in the game, or you can go you know a little lighter with something like Bloodborne or Diablo, just generating some levels, or you know you could just be an item pool that's procedurally generated based on oh you killed this enemy so it drops this pool of items or something. Yeah. You no, know, like you can get very light on it, and I think, I think I, I I like that a lot of games are experimenting with it nowadays. I want to see more of that. Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree definitely that kind of a balance. Maybe some games for me, at least personally, a little too far. But I do. <laughs> but I but I agree. I like the idea that it's it's something to think about and decide. Hey, you know, can this enhance what we already have? Yeah. So there are a lot of good results from that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can do it all for you. I'm, you know, I'm thinking something as small as Elder Scrolls games, where you go and you loot some boxes, and what's in there is just kind of random because whatever people are gonna put random shit in boxes for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Any uh, final thoughts on that one? Uh, play the Binding of Isaac. It's amazing. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. All right. Thanks, Gabe. Any, what, do you have final thoughts? Do I get to ask you if you have final thoughts? Oh, all right. For me, uh, no, I think I summed it up pretty much. Like, it's it's one of those things that has so many possibilities that it's impossible to really even encapsulate yeah. in a conversation. <laughs> um, so trying to is, is foolish to some to some extent. But, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see more games try to, to take on the ideas yeah. that are set forth. I mean, it's such a long lineage of games that have this, you know, thing to it, but I don't think we're anywhere near seeing the possibilities exhausted. So yeah, I'm that's okay with exciting. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that was our conversation about procedural generation. Please check out some of the games we mentioned. Those are all unique and have interesting takes on the concept. It's definitely worth experiencing them for yourself. I can be found on Twitter at jsebastiangames and on Twitch at jmsebastian. Gabe can be found on Twitter at mistalice and at his website, gabem.me. Thanks for listening.